Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, all week this week, I am themed around communicating because that's what I think leaders do. You actually, uh, you know, whether you preach like I do every weekend or whether you speak like at conferences or whether actually you're just presenting at a boardroom or you're trying to inspire your staff or you're trying to recruit volunteers or you know maybe you're hosting something and you've got to do announcements communication i think is inherently connected to leadership as as my friend jeff henderson often says leadership comes with a microphone and it just does and a lot of us i mean you look at it the number one fear apparently that people have is a public speaking uh, honestly that has never scared me uh, I walked into a radio station when I was 16 years old and said, hire me. And they were dumb enough to do it. Worked in radio for eight years. I worked in law for, well, I did five years in law. A lot of that was schooling and training, but I spent a year in downtown Toronto and I was in court almost every day. And talk about having to learn to speak on your feet. I mean, you better be ready. Those judges get angry if you're not prepared. And so I learned that way. And then I've been preaching for over 25 years, 23 years actually in the same place to the same people, which is just crazy when I think about it because I don't feel that old. And I teamed up with a buddy of mine, Mark Clark. Mark and I have gotten to know each other over the last couple of years. He is a phenomenal communicator, very different style, a different demographic too. He's a millennial. I'm a Gen Xer. And we put our heads together and created a brand new resource, which releases this week. It's called The Art of Better Preaching. And you can learn more at theartofbetterpreaching.com. Um, and we, Mark and I took everything we know about preaching and actually put it in the Art of Better Preaching course. It's 12 units that cover everything from like, what is preaching to preaching to the unchurched? Like, how do you do that without losing your soul? And again, we have different approaches, but my goodness, he's been incredibly effective. We have seen so many unchurched people come to faith and you can do that without losing biblical integrity. And Mark and I show you how. We talk about how to cultivate growth. Like, do you know, according to a recent Gallup poll, see this is why this is so important. 76% of people choose a church based on the quality of the preaching. So if you don't actually grow your preaching, um, you're taking away the number one reason people join your church. So if you can become a better preacher, think about the impact that's going to happen. Um, I talk, I do a whole unit on like, how do you find the power in the text? Like, how do you find, and obviously there's power in the text when you're talking about the Bible. I know that theologically, but like, why is it that sometimes when people preach a biblical message, it just feels boring? And why other times does it pop? Well, there are little things you can look for and big things you can look for that will always make the text pop for you and for your audience. And uh, well, we do a whole unit on that. Creating a killer bottom line. It blows me away. I learned this skill over a decade ago. People will quote word for word something I said eight years ago. I teach you exactly how to create those kinds of sentences. Uh, we talk about becoming the best preacher you can be. Don't get fooled by imitation. That's one of the strengths of having two very different communicators do a course is you will actually develop your voice, not copy ours. Um, and then how to deliver a talk without using notes. One of the most requested subjects I get, I share everything I know on that in the unit. We'll talk about it a little bit today. I'll give you a sample, but my goodness, in the course we go deep. 
And then uh, also how to stay fresh. And, and then we do, uh, we have some fun too. We do a lot of Q and A's, we bust some myths and we give you some resources, some cheat sheets, um, a way to memor like learn your talk, not really memorize it, but learn it so that you can go without using notes. We've got uh, a little template for you on that. And then Mark and I also do some game film. This was fun where it's a bonus if, if you sign up now. Uh, where we actually take one of our messages. He takes one of his, I take one of mine, and we show you exactly why we did what we did and where we could have done better. Uh, you know, just like a coach sits down in the locker room and says, okay, guys, when we ran this play, yeah, we're going to do that with our sermons. So uh, I, I think you're going to really enjoy it. It comes with a lot of content and it's yours forever. Once you're in, you're in. And uh, you can go to theartofbetterpreaching.com. We have special pricing this week and only for a few more days next week before the price goes up. So make sure you head on over to The Art of Better Preaching. And even if you're not a preacher, you're like, could this be right for me? comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So go check it out. And in the meantime, I'm taking your questions on preaching. So let's start with this one. I got a question from a guy named Major Dalton, and he says... Uh, he's a doc. Well, actually, just listen to him. Hey, Carrie. My name is Major Dalton. I am a doctoral student uh, working on a dissertation related to preaching without notes and ran across your article. I was intrigued by the uh, statement, the insight that Dr. Long uh, had given you related to uh, preaching without notes. Uh, don't memorize your talk. Understand it. And I wanted to see if you had any more information on that, uh, you know, by him or others that you may have encountered uh, in the course of your studies, you know, perhaps additional publications by Dr. Long or that kind of thing. Um, if you have suggestions related to that concept, don't memorize your talk, understand it, uh, or any other suggestions, of course, that you may have related to the idea of preaching without notes, man, I would be very, very grateful. Well, that was probably the best advice I've ever gotten on how to give a talk without using notes is don't memorize your talk, understand it. Now, Mark and I talk about that in the course and actually on Tuesday's episode because he does try to memorize his talk. But at the end of the day, what he's not, he is not walking into, like he walks in with his notes, but he's not using them. I mean, watch him preach. It's, it's powerful. So what's behind that? Um, I, I want to drill down a little bit on that. So, so what it means is, and I teach this in The Art of Better Preaching, but every talk breaks down really into five components. If, if, if you're writing a talk that people are going to follow and understand, you've got five, five components to any talk. First of all, you got an introduction, which really answers the question, how am I going to start? Like, how am I going to begin? And often we start with like accidental beginnings. It's just like, hey, everybody, blah, blah, blah. You know, isn't it a beautiful day? Or sorry about the rain. Or hey, our team won. Or waste of time. Um, so you've got to think very intentionally about how are you going to start? Because you already have people's attention. Your job is not to lose it. So how are you going to start? And then, and then once you start, you know, you, you, you kind of learn that. And then you think about, okay, I got to get to the main point, which we teach you in the course how to do, right? The, the bottom line. And that's usually a transition. Now, that could be a story. Uh, that could be a crafted phrase. But, you, you know, let's say you're, you begin for five minutes. Then you start to move into the transition. And often what I'll do there is I'll talk about why what we're going to talk about is so important. You know, hey, if you master this, it's going to change your relationship. Like I'm preaching on anger, actually, around the time this episode airs. And I'm going to be talking about the rising epidemic of anger. 
I'm going to talk about why it's an issue. You know, over half of men say they're angrier this year than they were last year, uh, how it shows up in the home, how it shows up subtly, and that, guys, this is killing your relationship at home. It's just, it's, it's why are you angry? And you know what? I'm going to share something Andy Stanley taught me. Anger says, you owe me. So who owes you? Like, who owes you? See, this is, this is interesting. The message isn't even written. I've got it outlined, but I can tell you what it already is going to be because it's so clear. I just know where I'm going to start. I know where I'm going to go. Then we're going to get into the main teaching. Now, in that case, it's Matthew 18. It's the parable of the unforgiving uh, debtor, in my case, or servant, you know, the guy who owes millions, he gets forgiven. Then he goes out, finds a guy who owes him a thousand bucks, tries to kill him, throw him in jail. And, you know, it's like, wow, you were forgiven. Why wouldn't you forgive others? So if somebody owes you, um, you know, you you really realize that you owe God a lot more than anybody owes you. And the bottom line that week is all about that. And so I get into the meat of the talk, and then I talk about applications. So, you know, that's where you need, this is the transition out of the main content. And this is where, so we've already been through three phases of the message uh, as it develops. Number one, the introduction. How are you starting? I'm going to start with stats. I know that. Then you got to do the transition. How do you get out of the stats and into the main content? Guys, this is why this is so important. Women, this is why this is so important, right? And and explain that in some detail. Then I'm going to get into the meat of the teaching with Peter's question, like, how often should I forgive people? Is it seven times, 70 times seven? Jesus drops this story, bam, you know, it's powerful. I'm going to linger there a long time. That'll take 10, 15 minutes to teach, maybe 20. And then, and then move through that to the application. So what's the application? Well, nobody owes you anything, and so you shouldn't be angry, and you owe God, um, and he forgave you. So what right do you have to think that anybody owes you anything? Nobody owes you anything. And eventually, that anger can melt to gratitude when you realize, oh my goodness, I've been forgiven. Oh my goodness, God has been good to me. So how do you get there? Okay, you're mad, you know, you get tripped you know, your kids scratch your car or whatever. How do, you, how do you deal with your anger? And I'm going to give some very specific, and I'm still working on this part of the message, but I'm going to give, because it's weeks in advance, but I'm, I'm going to give some very specific advice. Like, for example, I know I'm going to talk about pausing. Just stop. Just stop. Because, you know, we all have that moment where we say something, we do something, we act out in anger, and literally 10 seconds later, 10 seconds later, we're sore. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done it, but we did it. And again, I've explained in brain research the difference in this series that we're doing. I've talked about the amygdala versus the hippocampus. I'll talk about that. You got to let your hippocampus speak to your amygdala. You got to let your primitive reactions, which are sinful in, in many cases, uh, be governed by um, your brain that says, don't do that. Stupid people do stuff like you're going to do. Okay, so I'll talk like that. And then we're going to conclude. Then we're going to wrap up. And I haven't quite finished that part of the talk, but I promise you by the time I get there, I will have a clear sense. And here's what I memorize, my last sentence. So look, I have not got that outline in front of me. I'm, I'm not making this up. I mean, if this was video, you would see it. It's not in front of me. I haven't even looked at it in days, um, but I started early. And, and by the way, that's another tip to understanding your talk. Uh, I understand the logical flow. I know where I'm starting. I know where I'm moving to. I know the main part. Uh, I know the transition out and I'm working on the ending. Okay, so those are the five big components and that'll fill 35 to 40 minutes. 
Um, but because there's a logical flow, because it's clear, and because I started early, I started that talk weeks ago, probably four to five weeks before it was due in terms of delivery. Um, there's actually something that scientists have learned lodges in your brain. You have short-term memory and long-term memory. All you do, if you do a Saturday night special week after week after week, all you can draw on on Sunday morning is your short-term memory. And your short-term memory is not very clear. On the other hand, if you're working three, four, five, six weeks in advance, or sometimes on ideas like I know what I'm doing two months from now for the big idea for the series, um, that's when it actually launches, the, the content lodges in a different part of your brain called, are you ready for this? Your long-term memory. And if it's in your long-term memory, it's like an old friend. It's just like, oh, I already know this. So I usually am working on four or five messages at a time, uh, weeks or months in advance. And by the time I get to them, it's lodged in my long-term memory. So those are some tips on giving your talk without using notes. We get into more details and give you actual resources that you can use, workbooks and cheat sheets uh, to memorize, not memorize your talks, but understand them so that you can do just what I did and, and actually get up there and speak for 30, 40, 60 minutes without using notes. Um, so anyway, hope that helps. Okay, next question. This one's from Patrick. Patrick, go ahead. One question I have for you is, how long do you spend preparing your messages for Sunday mornings? I preach about every week to the middle school students at my church, and I'm kind of a perfectionist. And so I actually spend uh, a good deal amount of time on my messages, even though to middle school students, I take it pretty seriously, and uh, I want the messages to go well. Um, but my question is, how long do you typically spend on your messages, and how have you enabled yourself to write your messages in a, an appropriate time to where you're able to also do other things throughout the week? Oh, Patrick, <laughs> I wish there was an easy answer. Uh, you know, back in the day, I mean, when I used to start on Monday, like, what am I going to preach about on Sunday? Uh, I had a much like more succinct answer to that. And the answer would be 15 to 20 hours, like half my time. These days, it's a little bit harder to answer. And again, I hinted at this in the answer to the first question. But, you know, I start months in advance. Uh, I've, I'm actually now, I've got ideas for like, I think I know how I'm, how I'm going to open uh, January 2019. Uh, I want to do a series on the sovereignty of God, and I want to talk about cultural changes, technological changes, artificial intelligence, and sort of the dystopian future that a lot of people see, and talk about the sovereignty of God in the end times. So I'm already thinking about that literally six, seven months in advance. And so what I'll do is I'll open, I've already done this, I'll open an Evernote file, and I'll just start collecting stuff. Uh, I've already got a few things in that file, on a Sovereign God, a podcast episode I was listening to that sort of gave me the idea. Uh, I'll probably do some reading on artificial intelligence and the future and, you know, political dystopia. And, and I will do some research on the sovereignty of God prior to that. So, you know, how long is that series going to take? Six or eight months. Now, am I working on it 40 hours a week? No, of course not. I might be working on it for two minutes or three minutes a day or an hour a day or, you know, uh, depending on the day, or zero minutes. But what happens is it's kind of like, you know, squirreling away money. 
So let's say, you know, you're trying to save, you're trying to save $100,000 over 20 years or whatever. You can look at that as like, oh, I don't have $10,000 to put in. I'll never do it. Yeah. But if you put 10 bucks in today and uh, two days from now, you put five bucks away and then you put 20 bucks in next week, uh, you know, eventually, and you know this, by the time 20 years goes by, you got a hundred grand, right? Um, and, and a lot of us, we just wait for that day where it's like, we got to write it all at once. So that's a long way to say, Patrick, I start weeks or months in advance. So it's five minutes here, 20 minutes there, an hour here, a half hour there, you know, um, a quick dictation. I was out cycling last night. I started dictating into my Evernote while I was cycling because uh, I got ideas. You get ideas that way. So it is really hard to say. I would say my best guess, and this is only, Patrick, I don't know how old you are, but like I've been doing this for 30 years. So um, I talked to Andy Stanley about this once and and because I moved into a teaching pastor role. And I think it's okay if I quote this publicly, but he said, Carrie, if it takes us 40 hours a week to put a message together at this point, clearly we're not very good at what we do. And I think he's right. You get the advantage at our stage and age of reps. Now, Andy pours himself into his craft. I pour myself into my craft, but it's just not going to take me as long at age 53 as it did at age 35 or age 23. Um, because I have all these reps. And what happens is you get accumulated knowledge, accumulated wisdom. Um, a lot of the things that were new skills for you, you've now um, kind of mastered or at least refined and honed. So you get faster at it. So I would say on average, if I take all those little minutes and the thought patterns and everything, it's probably 10 to 15 hours goes into a message. Um, and then there's also series development. And I'll pour an additional 10 to 20 hours into the series infrastructure. You know, what is the angle? Uh, what are the different weeks of a series going to be? What are the bottom lines for the series? Um, what are the creative elements? So, you know, if you break that down, if that's a four-part series, it might end up being 15 to 20 when you look at the overall framework. Um, but again, your best friend is to start ahead, start ahead, start ahead, start ahead. So, that's what you need to do is just start early. And if you're going week to week right now, like maybe you start your message on Thursday for Sunday, what you can do is the next time you get a break from preaching, um, just work on your sermon as though you were preaching that Sunday. And you'll be a week ahead or two weeks ahead or three weeks ahead. And then just keep doing that. And eventually you can get a fair bit ahead. So um, those are some thoughts. And and the point is, there's no, there's no magic length. Like if you're young, it might take you 30 hours. If you're different than I am, and again, I've been communicating professionally since I was 16 years old, you know, that that's a long time communicating. And so it's just not as hard for me. Even to do this podcast, you know, obviously I have a few notes with your questions, and I took some time to write down a few bullet points, but like I'm barely glancing at the page. And again, that's years of radio, that's courtroom work, that's years of communicating. I could not have done that when I was 18. Uh, I would have been a lot more wooden. So give yourself a break on that and adjust your time according to your season would probably be the best advice for that. So uh, Corey has got a question. He's from Nebraska. He's got a question about the creative process. So here we are, Corey. Hey, Carrie, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about your creative process with your preaching and creative team of how you go from an idea on the board to creating and developing a series to the content biblically you choose, as well as the stories, allegories, creative elements, 
and even deciding where you land each week and how those tie in together. I currently have a creative team and we work through that, but um, we're new to our systems and our structure and we're looking for ways to be effective, efficient, as well as stay out ahead so that we are putting together the best possible message that we can on a weekly basis. So Corey, I'm going to borrow um, a little bit of my answer to Patrick for your response. And that is start early, start early, start early. Now, I know a lot of you, you're in small churches, you don't have a creative team. Uh, let me go right back to when we were a small church and we didn't really have staffing on this. Um, early on, long before we had staff, I would pull just the music guy who we did pay and then a volunteer team together. And every Tuesday night, we'd meet in my living room and I'd bounce ideas off them because we is more creative than me. I can tell you that. We is more creative than me because I, I'm somewhat creative. Um, but like when I get in the room with other people, my creative juices flow a lot faster and other people simply have better ideas. So even don't use like, we don't have a staff, we don't have a budget. Don't use that. We had no staff, we had no budget. I still pulled people together. And there will be people in your church who enjoy that. Like look for people who are creative. Maybe they're artists or teachers or, um, you know, that they're, they're musicians or, you know, they're good at media. And just bring in people from different perspectives and bring them together. Now, fast forward to today. Yes, our creative process is for the most part week to week staff because we have a lot of staff. So we'll have six to eight people in the room. I like to make sure that there is a balance of gender in the room. We try to get some diversity in terms of people's faith stage and different situation in life. A couple times a year, we will actually pull in unchurched people and um, people from the congregation who aren't normally in those meetings. If we have like Christmas coming up or Easter coming up, we may get some more different brains in the room just to, because, you know, if you get the same six or eight people, you tend to go into the same six or eight directions. So a few times a year at key moments, we will pull more people in for a special evening. Um, hint, the, the best way to make sure that that's a great experience is feed them well. Like just get them pizza or something. Um, it's just a lot cheaper than hiring more staff for that. And, uh, and they'll come and they love it. And they're honored to be involved in the process. And we have done that with unchurched people in the room too. Just friends that we say, hey, can you help us think through this issue? So we'll start usually um, with those big creative meetings like a couple months in advance. So if we're doing Christmas, we might start in October or November. If we're doing... Um, you know, Easter, we might start in February or March, or if we got some other pivotal series, you try to be at least a couple months in advance. But for the most part, with our creative team, uh, we're following a week-to-week -week process where about once a month, we go into creative mode as we get ready to introduce a new series weeks down the road. And uh, I, will, I will bounce everything off them. I'll bounce the idea of the series off of the team, usually a couple months in advance. I will bounce bottom lines off because I'll work like, as I've said already in this, a month or two in advance. I'll come in with some, all I have is like an idea of where I want to go in the series and some bottom lines. And I'll say, okay, we're trying to, you know, work on a week on sex. And I'm thinking like, what do you think a best sex life is a surrendered sex life? What do you think? Does that work? And then we'll talk through it because I'm a verbal processor and often they will have better ideas about how to make a clear, memorable killer bottom line then I will, or I'll refine it. Even in the process of saying it out loud in the front of other people, I'd be like, oh, that's not it. And I'll go back to the drawing board. But again, because you've got the luxury of time, you can afford another week to let that digest 
And then you come back and, and you get a better idea the week after because you're still a month in advance. So we'll do that big creative process, uh, usually on content one to two months in advance. And then as the series gets shaped, the bottom lines are decided, the topics are decided, then we'll go into creative mode. And that's where we come up with, well, what do we want these series to feel like? And we've made some changes. We, we do now what I call an emotional plot line for our service. And it's different every week. We have 60 to 65 minutes. You know, depending on where we want to go with the series, we may start uh, really happy and end up really quiet. Um, I'm doing, because I've talked about this already, that week on anger. We are looking at how do we set it up. So I want to give you a very specific example. You know, we're going to open with some, some worship songs. It's Father's Day that we're doing this on. And then, you know, we got a welcome, we have the offering and everything, but I wanted to set up the tension in the message. Rather than just doing it with words, I wanted to uh, do it with music. And so we had a couple of different songs. Uh, we looked at a tune by Three Days Grace, uh, another song by somebody else, but we landed on a decade-old song by the Foo Fighters called The Best of You, which is really, it sounds like an angry song because I'm preaching on anger and moving from anger to gratitude. It sounds like an angry song, and, and it is, like even lyrically, a bit of an angry song. And because our target is 35-year-old men, going back a decade, uh, you know, they were kind of coming out of college at that age, so that's a song that would be really in their memory bank. And so the band is going to play uh, just a performance piece, The Foo Fighters, Best of You. Well, that already creates tension, and then I can just start talking in the message about anger, and then we wondered about how to finish it. And we looked at like doing a special piece, you know, on trust or gratitude or something, but it didn't really fit. And so here's, here's what we decided to do. Um, because we want the feeling of that, that service to be like convicting, um, but we also want it to be hopeful. And we, we're going to give people the opportunity to get counseling. We're going to give them some concrete steps to overcome their anger. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with anger that's appropriate. The problem with most of our anger is it's not appropriate. You know, even in the scripture, it says, be angry. However, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So we'll talk about all that stuff. But then we thought, well, what, what are we going to do? Because I don't know that you've ever noticed this, but when you tend to preach on subjects like this, guys try not to make eye contact with anybody, especially their spouse. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to preserve men's dignity because I'm, I'm basically talking about men's anger in their homes. And we're going to have a prayer of confession. And then we're just going to be quiet. And then we're going to close the service. Going to invite people back next week. And as they walk out the door, we're putting just, the band isn't playing it. It's just, you know, um, Spotify. We're going to put an acoustic version of the best of you just a really laid back version to kind of bring that moment back in people's mind and remind them of what they need to do. So that's an example of like really paying attention to the emotions of a service at different points. I love how Craig Rochelle phrases it. That was episode 173 of this podcast where he said one of the most important questions they're asking these days at Life Church is in terms of a sermon and in terms of a service, how do I want them to feel? And I want to draw a distinction. There's a distinction between evoking and manipulating. I want to avoid at all costs manipulation. Uh, manipulating, I think, is trying to make people feel something they don't feel. And we've all been manipulated before, you know, where we find ourselves a tear streaming down our eye and we're like, oh, I didn't really want to feel that way, but that guy made me. No, that's different. Now, 
What good movies, good stories, good communicators do is they don't manipulate, they evoke. And evoke means that emotion was already inside you. You just help draw it out. And that's why with the best movies, the best books, the best talks, they didn't have to create in you something that wasn't there. They just had to give you an opportunity to bring that out. And so when we think about an emotional plot line, we don't want to manipulate people into feeling something they don't feel. We just want to evoke an emotion of joy that may have been dormant for a little while or sadness that, that may be in there or, you know, conviction or whatever, whatever it is. And then, you know, you're, you're like a good score or like a good song, your service is going to have different emotional points where at times it'll be, you know, loud, at times it'll be quiet, at times it'll be fast, at times it'll be slow. And so we're just looking for that in the creative flow and we're paying more and more attention to that uh, as we do that in our planning process. And then the last thing I'd say, about, I could go on all day about the planning process. So the last thing I would say, Corey, is uh, it's really important for us every summer, summer's just our time, we do a full day retreat. And that's where I bring all the sermon ideas for the new year. We kind of review what, what we just did, then we preview what's ahead. We decide where we think our series are going to land. And we kind of plot out the calendar for the year and we talk about the changes we want to make. And we do that over a day with our service programming team, our creative team. And uh, that really sets up the framework so that then when we're going week to week and month to month, we kind of already have the meta overview ready to go. Now, occasionally it'll just be, you know, we're going to do a North Point series in the summer, but we don't know which one. Or we're going to do a a series on relationships, but we're not sure exactly what that's going to look like. But they're like placeholders. And that's where we make sure, you know, if we haven't covered confession in a long time, we're going to cover it. Or if we didn't cover truth or grace, we're going to cover it. Or if we didn't cover, you know, a biblical book in a while, we're going to cover it. So we try to make sure that that we've got that going. So that's a little bit about our creative process. And uh, most of the leaders I talk to have a variation of that in place, but I hope that that helps. Um, okay, Joseph from New York says, has this question. It's a great question. Here you go, Joseph. Hey, Kerry, I would love to get your thoughts on how you develop content and deliver a message that's applicable to a new believer uh, all the way to, say, a 30-year seasoned veteran um, and getting the same content across that's still applicable to both of those individuals. Thanks so much. All right, Joseph, I do a whole unit on this in, in The Art of Better Preaching, but let me give you the, the, the crib note on that. Um, speak to people. That's it. Just speak to people. A lot of us, and I did this for a while, right? There was this thought back in the day that you had to have a service for church people and a service for unchurched people. And I did that. And you know what happened? Only the unchurched service grew. Like the the church people service just got stuck at 100 people and the weekend was growing like crazy. And the usual suspects would show up for the, the insider service. So we just canceled the insider service. And that's where I learned. And again, I took this cue from Andy Stanley. I've been fortunate to learn from one of the best in the world. Preach to people. Just, just preach to people. Because at the end of the day, whether you're churched or unchurched, you have people. And guess what? Surprise, surprise. There are really no unchurched issues. There's people issues. You don't think your people are skeptical? Insiders are skeptical. They're skeptical. You don't think they don't struggle in their marriage. They struggle in their marriage. You don't think people who go to your church and love Jesus don't have addiction issues. They have addiction issues. You don't think there's sexual tension in those relationships. There's sexual tension in those relationships. So if you start to lift up the human issues that that everybody struggles with, 
um, you're going to start connecting with people. Now, a little hack, and again, I show you how to do this in, in the Art of Better Preaching course. Um, one of the best ways to know what people are struggling with is to try to figure out what you're struggling with. And if you're struggling with it, they're struggling with it. And so what you want to do is you want to share out of your weakness. Now, you know, if you have a raging porn problem that is untreated, uh, that is a conversation you need to have with a counselor and your elders, and you need to like go talk to them now. That is not helpful. But there's a certain point at which, you know, some of the struggles that we've had in the past, uh, we can talk about in a way that helps others. So you're not throwing up on them, you're, you're helping them. And so if you've got, like I burned out 12 years ago, I'm not burning out right now. I'm busy, but I'm not burning out. I can talk about burnout in a way that helps people. I can talk about past struggles in our relationship in a way that helps people. If I haven't diagnosed it or I haven't solved it, it's probably not very helpful. And the goal for me is share your pain once it helps other people. That's it. So um, if you can share from your past experiences what you've struggled in, number one, people immediately, immediately resonate with you. As I always say, people admire your strengths, but they resonate with your weaknesses. I mean, they're like, oh, good for you, Carrie. That's awesome. You read your Bible every day. Um, but if I say, but you know what? Sometimes I pray and it feels like my prayers bounce off the ceiling. People are like, oh, oh, me too. Right? You don't want to set yourself up as the person who has it all figured out because you don't, number one. And number two, it just creates a barrier between you and your audience. So if you can share out of your past struggles, that creates an immediate thing. And people, I'll, I'll give you another, you know, from a different discipline. People ask me all the time, where do you get your blog content from? Because I blog a lot, you know, and, and lots of people read that. And where do you get all your content from in your writing? I'm like, just come into my head. Like, that's what's in my head all day long. I struggle with it. And then people go, that's exactly what I think. That's exactly what I struggle with. Dude, if you start sharing that stuff, you're going to have an audience forever. And, and fortunately, um, or unfortunately, there's a lot that I struggle with. So I'm going to keep writing as long as I do. So I hope that helps. Dylan from Omaha says he's a young preacher and he's looking for some advice. Hey, Carrie, I'm just wondering, I'm a 19-year-old who's still learning how to preach, what to preach, when to preach. Um, and I'm just wondering if you have any best practices for making me the best preacher I could be in 10 years. Like what practical steps should I be taking today? Should I be listening to really key people? Um, I already take a lot of notes, but like what all should I do with that? Dylan, I love it, man. Thank you. First thing I would say is really, really work on finding your own voice. Learn from the people you admire, but do not imitate them. I mean, I can... Uh, this drives me crazy. I, I can I can listen to some preachers and it's like, oh, you're trying to be X and I won't name names, but like they've developed the cadence and the rhythm and the style. And often it's not them. You know, I have the uh, enviable slash unenviable task of following Andy Stanley a lot at our church for the last decade. I mean, we're a North Point partner. Uh, I teach about 30, 35 times a year. Andy does much of the balance. And so I'm often coming off an Andy series. Now, you talk about intimidating. That's intimidating. And so one option for me was, well, I'll just pretend to be Andy. No, I'm, I'm not. And, you know, if God wanted another Andy, he would have made me Andy too. He didn't. He made me carry. And there are particular things about my personality I don't like. Um, but I have to get comfortable in my own skin. 
And I have to get comfortable with the way I say things or the way I do things. And, you know, God made you, you. And so you have to discover what does he uniquely want to do through me? So I would, I would really work on that. Does that mean you can't learn from other preachers? No, you should learn like crazy. You should learn from Andy. You should read his books. You should, you should study him. You should study Stephen Furtick, Craig Rochelle. You should study Beth Moore. You should study some of the best out there today and learn from everybody you can. And of course, lots of people whose names we don't know. You should, you should study them. Um, but then kind of run it through your own filter and be true to you. You know, here's the reality. If you're just trying to be you, you can do that every single day for the rest of your life, right? Like you can just roll out of bed. It's like, oh, I get to be me today. If you're trying to be somebody else, you're, you're going to eventually implode or explode. So that's what I would say is try to find your voice while learning from other voices. Second, listen to feedback. Listen to feedback. Um, just keep your notebook open. And I know I can be very defensive, especially when I was younger. Um, feedback's a gift, man. You know, feedback is a breakfast of champions. So when people say, when you said that you lost the crowd, don't defend yourself. Just go, oh, how? Can you, can you help me understand? So really listen to feedback and solicit it. And, and a note on feedback, some of the best feedback you can get probably comes from other communicators. So, you know, usually if you ask people who don't communicate for a living, did that work? They might tell it. First of all, they're going to be overly nice. They're going to say, yes, that was wonderful. And then they're going to get in the car and go, I hated it. I mean, that does happen. But let's say, let's say it really was a good message and people are like, oh, that was nice. That was kind, Dylan, way to go. They can't answer why. They don't know why it was good. Or conversely, they don't know why it was bad. They just know that subjectively it was good or it was bad. It's like watching a movie. Was that a good movie or a bad movie? I don't know. It was a bad movie. Why was it a bad movie? I don't know. I guess the plot didn't move along. You know who can answer the why was it a bad movie? A screenwriter. That's who can, that's who can do it. A screenwriter can. A director can. Um, somebody inside the film business can tell you why that movie worked or why it didn't work. I can't. I'm just a consumer. So you need to find other communicators, other people who share your craft, who can help you understand why it worked or why it didn't work. That's why I found is the longer I preached, the more I have to be intentional about cultivating feedback because otherwise what happens is, you know, there's a lot of people who, who just say, oh, that was good or that was bad, but I can't grow. So you want to find out from fellow practitioners. And again, you've got to be open because if you start being defensive and like, oh, well, that's why I did it, they're just going to shut down and walk away. So if you're open, your notebook's open, you thank them for that feedback. That's how you'll grow. And then, oh, this is my least favorite. Are you ready? Watch yourself. Ooh, don't just listen. I mean, listen where you can. But if you get a chance to watch game film, watch yourself. I watch myself and I think I'm awkward. Why do I do that? But you're going to learn some annoying mannerisms you have. You're going to, you're, and, and again, you probably want to get someone else, else in on the game film, but watch yourself as painful as it is. Okay. Final question today. Wow. We, uh, we covered a lot of ground. This is Jeff from Cape Coral. Wherever Cape Coral is, it sounds awesome. Jeff. Hey, Carrie, my name is Jeff Gabriel. I'm a youth pastor in Cape Coral, Florida. And my question is, how do you cover really disturbing passages in Scripture as a youth pastor, like Judges 19 and 20, where the concubine is murdered through rape, and then the tribe of Benjamin is pretty much wiped out? Do you preach on it to your youth group? Do you try to cover it in small groups? 
or do you just ignore it or not cover it because of its graphic nature? The students are probably going to learn about this in college, and I just think it's important for it to be covered. I just don't know how you would. Okay, Jeff, fascinating question to finish on today. Um, This applies well beyond youth ministry, but like, okay, first question is, why are you going to difficult texts? Now, um, I think you have to preach the whole counsel of God. I believe that. I think that's really important. But um, are you going there for shock value? Are you going there because you're trying to be faithful to the text? Sometimes we go there um, not for good reasons, because we're trying to be controversial or we're trying to be original. There is a main weighting of Scripture that you should go back to again and again. Now, I'm going to assume you're going there for good reasons, okay? But that was just like a caveat I wanted to get out of the way. So let's assume it's like, no, just in the faithful course of preaching, I got to go to some difficult text. And there's a lot that's difficult. So for example, if you're doing youth group, any biblical teaching on sex is going to be awkward. This is going to be difficult because nobody believes what the Bible believes. Uh, Same with money, right? The culture has a totally different understanding of money. So, I mean, you can even look not at obscure teachings, but just different teachings and say, oh, okay, yeah, this is going to be a challenge because the biblical worldview is very different from other people's worldviews. So what do you do in a case like that? Number one, clarify for yourself, why am I going there? And usually what you'll encounter under that is that God has something in mind that's for his people. In other words, it's not a prohibition against. So if you're saving yourself from sex, right? Are you being saved from or are you being saved for? No, I'm saving myself for the person I'm going to marry. I'm saving myself for a better future. The reason I'm handling my money differently and honoring God first is we're doing this for the kingdom. That so you got to you got to figure out the why behind the what. And if you can lead with the why and really focus on the why, um, and that, that sometimes is going to require you to drill down and do a lot of research. Like you're going to have to go into the commentaries and maybe you don't understand why. You may have to wrestle with that text a little bit longer. But if you can get to why, it always makes the what more compelling. I mean, it's Simon Sinek, right? The, the power of why. So you want to focus on the why more than the what. So ask why you're going there. Focus on the why behind the text. And that may take you a while to, to discover it. And then understand the context. Understand the context. You know, why is this in the scripture? Why why was this message important to God? That'll help you drill down on that. And then finally, do a great job on application. Be specific. So if you're doing a really obscure text, like try to figure out why it applies today or how, of course, it applies today, but how it applies today. So you really want to focus on application so that it becomes specific. And again, Um, Make sure you focus on why they need to do that. You know, you want to save yourself for marriage because X, Y, Z. You want to honor God with your finances and be responsible with your finances because X, Y, Z. There's a promise behind every pain point. There is a promise behind every text. So your job is to find that promise and then bring it out. And then I think if you do that, people will go like, huh, huh, that's really good. Well, listen, I hope this has been helpful. Uh, We will do some more Ask Carries. Actually, there's one in the works for next month. So again, subscribers, guess what? You get it for free. And if you want more on public speaking, and I promise you there is a lot more, Mark Clark and I have our brand new course, The Art of Better Preaching. Please check it out at theartofbetterpreaching.com if you think it'll help you. It actually comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're into the course and you're like, nope, 
We'll just give you your money back, no questions asked. And it's at a special introductory price with a whole bunch of bonuses. We've got some cheat sheets. Uh, Mark and I do some game film where we actually talk about our sermons and why we did what we did and what we would do differently. And uh, well, we got 12 units that, that cover pretty much top to tail of everything you need to know to preach messages that reach unchurched people to help grow your church. Remember, 76% of people choose a church because of the preaching. And uh, that'll help you do things like create killer bottom lines and preach without using notes. So check it out, theartofbetterpreaching.com. Thanks so much for listening. We are back. uh, Well, surprise, surprise, another bonus episode drops this week. And this time I interview one of the best communicators I have ever heard in my life. So stay tuned for that real soon. And of course, next week, uh, we get a fresh episode, as usual, every Tuesday. Really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.